0: Shalom and welcome again to another edition of Secrets of Meaning, the podcast and TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. Thank you very, very much for joining us today. We really do appreciate your time. Uh, If you'd like to email me with suggestions or comments, please feel free to do so at rabbiaddress at jewishsacredaging.com. And check out the website, also jewishsacredaging.com and the Jewish Sacred Aging Facebook page. One of the uh, more exciting things about um, our longevity revolution and uh, we've got a little bit more well no that's a lot we've got a lot more time uh, as long as we stay healthy to go see the world and do all those bucket list things and visit all those places with or without grandchildren and i do recommend going with your grandchildren um that we perhaps never thought we would and to help us talk about that and as well as some other things um we want to welcome uh, Lisa Niver, the author of Bravish, One Breakup, Six Continents, and Feeling Fearless After 50, um, the book available at the usual suspects, Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, etc., etc., etc. Uh, Lisa is coming to us from Los Angeles, my old hometown for a little while, a travel expert, an award-winning author, podcaster. And uh, in charge of the website, We Said Go Travel, which is a really cool site that you should check out. Lisa, welcome. Welcome. Nice Um, to see you.
1: Thank you so much, Rabbi. I'm so honored to be with you here on your show
0: today. How's Los Angeles today?
1: You know what? We're very lucky in Los Angeles. We don't have too many seasons. It's pretty much nice all the time.
0: (laughs) That's true, except for that February rainy season or the June marine layer season, which I remember – (laughs) <laughs> very fine especially the rainy season driving back and forth to meetings in la from ventura county on the 101 and watching the floods and the mudslides but anyway that's another story for another time um thank you very much this is a, a really really interesting book uh a bio- bi- biography um jewish sensitivity family dynamics all rolled into one with a couple other things well what was the motivation for this? what What pushed you to write this?
1: Thank you so much. So working on this memoir, in all honesty, you know, people, I think at the end, when you hold a book in your hands, you think, "Oh, how it, it just was so easy. It came together. But for me, honestly, I quit this project in so many ways, so many times. It was so hard for me. Um When I was married, I was traveling in Asia. We were backpacking and I came home alone and I wasn't really sure what was going to happen next. And one of the first things that I did was meet with my rabbi. I met with Rabbi Hersher at Stephen Wise Temple. I grew up at Stephen Wise. And when I was traveling in Asia, I was really missing the community of my synagogue. And I met with him and I did... You know, I live in Los Angeles, so there's a lot of kinds of therapy to take advantage of. And (laughs) I did a lot of them, (laughs) some crazy
0: ones,
1: (laughs) some traditional ones. And one of the things that happened during my divorce was I actually finally worked on a problem with my eyes. And I had um, vision therapy all my life. I thought that I was clumsy and I'm not clumsy. I didn't see properly. And that is what really inspired the 50 challenges I did before I turned 50, which mm-hmm. eventually turned into this book.
0: You, you, you talk about seeing; it's very interesting. Before we jump to the, the necklace thing, but since you brought up the seeing thing, you have this—you have this very interesting little line in the middle of the book. Actually, for reference, it's page one; it's page 91 about seeing. And you wrote, uh, "I came to understand that seeing." is also about recognizing or understanding what's that mean
1: yes one of the things that became clear in vision therapy which i thought was for my eyes but it turned out one of the issues with my eyes was how the feed of what you see got interpreted in my brain and it became clear in vision therapy and and traditional therapy that the, the problems I had with interpreting what was actually happening in front of my eyes impacted how I understood myself in relation, not just to, I used to bump into the table, but in my actual relationship. And it became this huge, it wasn't a metaphor. It was just real that I was like, oh, all the things like some of the time my brain discounted one feed I, I didn't see with both eyes, literally and figuratively. People are like, how could you not see how bad your relationship was? I was like, Well, I did see it and I didn't understand it. I didn't put the pieces together in yeah. in looking back, it seems so obvious. But well, you live things forward.
0: It's it's the reason why I underline that and, and I just jump to that it is because within the tradition, within the texts and the stories in, in Torah, the idea of seeing but but not really seeing what's there, you know, everything from the the burning bush to Jacob's ladder to all kinds of other it's 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 fascinating that you lived it, in other words, lived text from the Torah. And brought you know, and and it's very personal. That's why the texts are so so powerful and personal. And so I wanted to. I'm glad you did the seeing thing. Talk to me about the necklace because we start off in Asia with a seashell necklace, and it sort of like sets the tone for the entire book.
1: Yes. So uh, the the man that I was married to well, very early on when we met we were traveling together. And the first thing that he ever gave me was a seashell. And I wore that as a symbol. It was when we were in Fiji and it was the first time he ever told me that he loved me. And when I came home, I had my my dad's a dentist and I had him drill a hole in the shell so that I could wear it. My dad was like, I'm not drilling a hole in a shell. And I was like, listen, it's the same thing as teeth. You have drills, just do it. And it was a symbol for me of that even when things were bad, I could hold on my necklace. I knew that he loved me. And um, on the very last day I ever saw him, um, he pushed me to the ground and he literally ripped my necklace off and threw it away and and called me horrible names. I, I can, at the time, just thought, you know, like you'd hear about people being attacked, like on the train and the subway in New York and like someone ripped their necklace off. And I was like, it was so confusing to me that how is this happening to me like it was so startling and and because it was such a symbol to me too and you know i was worried i'd had the chain fixed in new york and i was like oh my god is 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 the chain going to break is it going to cut me and i had fallen to the ground i didn't know if i was literally broken. I, uh, my marriage was for sure broken, but it was so much happening at once. It was like a storm in my brain of like, what is going on? And I was so far away from home.
0: The, that symbol of the brokenness and the attempt to, to re- reconnect. The, the, the book details your travels, not only physically travels in other countries, but in essence, a spiritual travel. Uh, through all kinds of choices that you made subsequent to the divorce and you write about them and some of the challenges of, you know, everything from teaching to or, volunteering, or organization, this, that, and the other thing. And here you sit now. Are you now, Lisa Niver, the sum total of all those choices that you made up till now?
1: That's a really good question. And when you ask me that about the integration and and how I feel about everything together, one of the very first things that happened in therapy was I kept saying, I, I want a different life. I, I want to n- have never met him. And my therapist said, Well, this is a challenge because we can't change the past. So if all you want is to erase what happened. I'm not so sure how much I can help you. And I read this book called um, Super Survivors. I, I, that's not the exact name, but in the book, they talked about forgiveness and that how you imagine moving forward. That if you only, if, you know, I'm from LA. So they talked about if you're driving and you only look in the rearview mirror, you cannot get where you're going. And so that was one of the biggest challenges I had to think about was how do I forgive myself for being in this situation? And that forgiveness doesn't mean accepting bad behavior. And so that was really a challenge for me, how to integrate that bad things happened to me and I was upset and this is my life. And at the same time, I have to move forward. And I feel like it's very Jewish that the I thought a lot about that the broken tablets were kept in the ark. That brokenness doesn't mean something is unholy.
0: No, not at all. Because we're all broken. I mean, unless you've bumped into somebody who's absolutely perfect, (laughs) I haven't. (laughs) I don't know. You've traveled more than I have. Maybe – in some beach in Fiji, you bumped into some perfect person or Bali or, or if any place, it may have been the Guinness Brewery in Dublin. Uh, <laughs> I was very happy to read about that because I was there a couple of years ago and, uh, besides it being a, a tremendous city, uh, that was a great morning. Uh, like, I really, uh, but we're all broken and I think. One of the ways you could teach this book actually if, is the fact that we, every stuff happens, stuff happens to everybody. And you either rest on that and stay where you are, or you pick yourself up and you say, this, I'm alive. Thank God I'm alive. That's why there's this story about, you know, in a car, speaking of LA, why is the windshield bigger than the rear view? Because you got, it's where you're going. You can't go back to where you, where you, where you're going. So, um, you write very passionately about some of your Jewish experiences, even including some rituals in the, in, in the back of the book. Talk to me about the power of the mikveh, because you do write about the mikveh and all of a sudden here it is in the middle of this, you're going to the mikveh. Talk to me about it.
1: One of the things that has really been such a solace and an anchor for me in my travels in my life is, you know, I grew up going to Stephen Wise Temple. I was very fortunate with, you know, to be with Rabbi Zeldin and go to Jewish summer camp. And there's so much that I grew up with going to LA Opon, studying at Hebrew University and all of those things like the happiness of summer camp and the amazingness of Judaism but there's always, we talk about that there's there's negative, right? We talk about Passover. The Jews were slaves in Egypt, and we remember that. And I think all of those learnings just helped ground me in the fact that it's not pretty, pretty happy, happy. Like people want their social media to be. The history of the Jewish people, you know, we laugh at, right? Like they tried to kill us. They didn't win. Let's eat. And I let's think eat. that that saved me that when I was in in Asia crying and broken and hurt. I was like, I need to go back to Shabbat. I need to go back to my temple. And I, you know, I feel that the, you know, the deepness of my studying and my community reminded me that this, it's, it's not okay. I'm not happy it happened to me, but I'm not alone in that. And I read the prayer about, um, Birkat miel and the
0: Gomel, the Gomel blessing, right?
1: And you know when bad things happen, like we have a prayer for that. And the mikvah to me was, you know, like literally going in the ritual waters and washing and starting anew. That you know the Jewish calendar, we start the Torah again. We we begin again. We have New Year. That I just felt like the mikvah was a. I mean, I'm a scuba diver. I love the water. It just seemed like it was such a good connection of all the things that I'd studied and learned in a way to move forward.
0: You, you allude to the, the idea of being brave. What, what do you mean by that?
1: So one of the funniest things that happened to me, I'm a teacher. And when I came back from Asia and I literally told everyone, I live in crazy town. Like I, I just felt insane. And I was crying all the time. I was going to therapy for every kind of craziness. And my goal was to get the upgrade from crazy town to Sucksville. And I just was trying so hard to figure out what to do. And I don't know. It just, it is, was a really challenging time. And actually tell me the question again. <laughs>
0: I got lost no, there. It, no, 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 that's okay. And that's okay. Cause obviously something got triggered. Um, the idea of of, of what is, For you, what did it mean to be brave?
1: Oh, (laughs) because I didn't ever feel brave. I'm like, I can't even remember the question. Sorry. So the thing that happened for me was I came home from Asia. I lived in crazy town and people kept saying to me, oh, you're so brave. And in fairness, as an educator, I looked up in the dictionary could have been more than a dozen times, this word brave. Because I felt like that scene in The Princess Bride where the guy keeps saying inconceivable and the other guy says, I don't think you know what it means. That's how I felt. People are like, oh, you're brave. I'm like, I don't think you know what that means. So to me, my understanding now of what they were putting on me or, or feeling from me is I was afraid. And I did it anyway. I was afraid to leave my marriage. I was afraid to move forward. I wanted a different past, but I never gave up. I always was moving forward. And, you know, doing the vision therapy was so hard for me. Most people do that when they're seven. I was 47 and everything was hard, but I never gave up. And that's what I think bravery is, is you feel the fear and you still move forward.
0: Is the travel that you've done and you write about and everything in any way, shape, or form looking back and you've done the therapy, this may be a little bit off the wall question. But it occurred to me as I was reading the book and all these places that you've been and everything, and and then you say, But I still miss that rootedness of Shabbat. But I'm traveling all over the world, but I still So is this was the travel in any way Uh, a a metaphor for being lost?
1: Oh. Oh, I love that question. Yes. I do think there's two sides. I do think I genuinely love travel and adventure. And I do think there's a piece of it where you're searching for yourself. You know, you bring all your baggage with you no matter where you go. That's correct. One of the very first times I was ever in Israel – I, my family came on a federation trip when I was studying in Israel and we had this amazing guide. And I remember walking through the old city and her talking about disoriented and that disoriented, the orient was the center of the world at the time and disoriented meant you lost your center. And I think we're all searching for that. So yes, I, I do think there's a double side of the traveling and and like you know, do you have home? How do you make a home? When I worked on the cruise ship, I used to run Shabbat services every Friday. Really? And yes, I loved it. It was so much fun. I made my own door. It was great. And so, I think there's a way that you can be away and and make your own home. And I do think some of the travel is searching for self and 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 what do you value.
0: Again, we're speaking with Lisa Niver, the author of Bravish, One Breakup, Six Continents, and Feeling Fearless After 50. Speaking of fear. Um, <laughs> and it is fearless after 50, which, which is a nice segue into, um, so Jewish sacred aging. Obviously, we deal with what is almost now the majority of the American Jewish population, according to the Pew study of 2020. Close to 50% of our community is, according to them, over the age of 50. And many of us have been blessed with some sort of economic security and really are now traveling all over the place. Um, first of all, why do you think that's so absolutely important?
1: Well, one of the things that I've found traveling is... This really lovely understanding that's different than what we might see on the news or hear about, and that is no matter where I go in the world, whether you know I'm staying in a gear in Mongolia or some other you know, trekking in Nepal, the thing that I've found talking to people is everywhere around the world, parents want the best for their children. They want them to be happy, they want them to be healthy, and they want them to have a good life. And I think sometimes it's hard for us to remember that. And also I think when you're when you're there, like when you're in Istanbul and you're looking at how big is the Dardanelles and you think of course these people have a conflict about this. They're it's right there. Like sometimes it's just hard to get good perspective. And I think for me with my eyes perspective is is a running theme of like how do these pieces fit together? And that's one of the things I think is the best that we learn from travel is is a better understanding of the world around us, but also being able to take back for ourselves when I was teaching One day I taught in a Jewish school in LA, the Wilshire Boulevard School, Browerman. And one day for no apparent reason during science class, the lights went out and my students were a little bit freaked out. And I was like, oh, we're safe. Just the lights went out. We'll open the shades. And I told the kids when I'd been traveling Nepal at the time, they only had 12 hours of power a day. And a lot of times it didn't appear to be the right part of the day that there was power. And so we used a lot of candles. And the kids are like, "Oh, that's interesting." So the next day they came to class and like, you know what? Don't turn the lights on. Just open the blinds. We like that better. You know, they just like other people live differently than us.
0: Yeah, it's it's the. I'm glad you used the word perspective. I think one of the things you learn is that once you get rid of all the political mumbo jumbo and news manipulation, like you said, people are really, really in tune with the same things. They just want to be able to get through the day, come home to their families, be healthy, live a nice life, have some fun. Um and I think that's one of the 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 great lessons as you go to different cultures and just try to other than the you know, if it's Tuesday it must be Belgium movie where, you know, just come <laughs> in. This, too is, much. this is this is this is this but actually sitting down and trying to learn some of the language and Having a cup of coffee or several cups of coffee or glasses of wine, the this the senior travel. A lot of the people who are engaged in our work and will watch Seekers of Meaning are of my generation. What what advice would you you know? Some people say, "Well, I, I'm too old or I'm I have a disability," but the industry has really changed, hasn't it, or has it?
1: I think you have to select carefully. You know, people say to me, what's your favorite place? Where should I go? And I always say to them, well, what do you like? So for example, this is not an old person example, but a very young person example. My nephew graduated from college and he and his girlfriend were coming to California. And they said, well, we don't want to sit on the beach. I said, well, you both love baseball. How about as a graduation present, I'll get you baseball tickets. You can go in San Diego to see a game and was the highlight of their trip. So I think the issue isn't if you're young or older, or do you have need accommodations? It's like, what do you actually like? So for example, in Fiji, uh, there's a project at one of the islands where they've literally saved the Fijian crested iguana from the brink of extinction. They're working with scientists, they work with the San Diego Zoo, and you can go there and you can help. You can um, remove some of the invasive species. You can do, go on a night journey to look for the iguanas. So it just depends what you want. For some people, like I do not want to look for iguanas, but I, I'm really curious, how do we help? There's a huge problem with the lionfish. So, you know, you can, you can be an active participant or you can support an organization that's doing that work. There's the um, Earthwatch. I've done an Earthwatch trip when I was an educator. You could be a citizen scientist. So I feel like there's so many ways to get involved. You can. The I got to in, interview um, Dr. Richard Murphy on World Environment Day, who's part of the Cousteau Society. They have projects all around the planet. So for me, you know, I'm always scuba diving environment, teaching, how do we help the kids? But There's all kinds of projects like that where there's a woman doing weaving that's saving this um, heritage style. You don't have to do anything. You can go to her shop and buy a scarf and that's helping save this tradition. So I think that's one of the things is like, what do people like? That I think you have to start with, what are you interested in? Take a cooking class. I always recommend that.
0: Tell me about We Said Go Travel.
1: So We Said Go Travel is a website I started in 2010, and it was after one of my early trips to Morocco. And I actually did a talk at Stephen Wise about the Jews of Morocco, because as we know, the Jews are everywhere, China, Morocco, India. And it's so interesting to learn about that. So the website started as a way to share global travels, and I actually ran 13 travel writing competitions. I published 2,500 other people from 75 countries. So the website's a global community and it was a way to promote my videos. So very, very soon, probably this week, I'm 5,000 views away. I'm going to have 2 million views on my YouTube channel.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. And the YouTube channel is not speaking YouTube is called what?
1: The YouTube channel is called Lisa Niver. We said, go travel
0: so and, and and you alluded to this because it is part of the book in fact it's it takes up a, a not a lot, but it's it's woven into the book, and before we leave, I just want to make sure that to to people may be interested in this to set goals. Talk to me about fifty before fifty, which is yes. what
1: so. As part of my vision therapy, my doctor, Dr. Alan Brodney, had told me I needed to do some challenges, take my vision skills essentially on the road. And it turned into this project where I did 50 challenges before I turned 50. They started very tiny. And as I got more and more willing to say yes uh, to more crazy adventures, and the funny thing about it was in the beginning, every time someone made me a suggestion, I said no. And then I would do it. And I was like, oh, that was so great. And I noticed about myself that in October, I was in New York for my birthday and I got invited to do a doors off helicopter. And I never considered not going. And so to me, that was a huge recognition of that I started with this really negative stance to new things. And now I'm like, yeah, doors off helicopter. Sure, I'll do it. And so for me, setting this goal and doing the 50 things and fixing my eyes has really helped me move forward and just be so excited for all the challenges. And I hope like your listeners, I get to have a lot more years of travel and adventure.
0: So Lisa, again, before we leave real fast, if somebody wanted to connect with you, uh, what are the electronic thingies or websites or whatever that they go to the machine and punch in?
1: So, in uh, as you said, I have a website, We Said Go Travel. I also have a website, Lisa Niver. And anywhere you look on the internet, all the social medias, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, uh, you could find me, Lisa Niver.
0: N I V E R. Again, uh, the author of uh, Bravish, One Breakup, Six Continents and feeling f- fearless after 50, which is tough for me to say for some reason. Lisa, <laughs> thank you very, very much. I appreciate it. Listen, good luck. Continued traveling, Continued safe travels, and just stay healthy. Be careful of the 405 and the 101. Um, know it well. I do miss it, except the last time I was on it, it took forever to go 10 miles. So, uh, but you be well. Take care. Thank you very much. Thank
1: you so much. It's such an honor to be here with you on your show. Thank
0: you. Well, thank you. Take care. Be well. And to all of you, thank you again for joining us on today's edition of Sticker's of Meaning, the podcast TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. Uh, If you'd like to become a sponsor of these podcasts, uh, please let me know. Just drop me a note at at com. If you'd like to make a tax-free donation to help support our work, again, to the website and locate and click on the donate button. We really do appreciate it. Uh, Seekers of Meaning is produced at the Broadcast Center of Lubetka Media and Companies here in Chariot, New Jersey. And a big thank you to our producer, Steve Lubetka, to all of you. Again, thank you for joining us. I am your host, Rabbi Richard Adris, and I look forward to greeting you on our next Seekers of Meaning. In the meantime, please stay safe, everybody. Stay healthy, take care of yourself, and be kind. Shalom.